Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Moss and Friends. In today's episode, we chat with Caitlin Christine of Gabby. Caitlin is a breast cancer survivor who has made it her life's work to empower women to understand their bodies and advocate for themselves. She is the CEO and founder of Gabby, where she and her team are on a mission to decrease delayed cancer diagnosis. We hope you enjoy. Hi, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Moss and Friends. Today, we have Caitlin Christine, uh, the CEO and founder of Gabby. Gabby was one of our clients last summer that we've just continued to develop the relationship over the year and continued working with their team because Gabby is an amazing product that we are excited to talk about today. So I won't spoil anything there, but it has been so awesome just to kind of see them grow over the year and watch the product grow and iterate and really go through that whole product life cycle. Uh, Would you like to add? Any more to that, Caitlin? I completely agree. We were introduced, I think it was Julia Lipton, actually. And yeah, via her newsletter that she was doing at the time in the middle of COVID. And we worked on one project and then ended up working on multiple. And, you know, Sarah, you and I are still working together. And it was cool to even see just how Moss and the two of you iterated and developed during that whole time. And I have to say, there's nothing better than having contractors, whether it's in design or engineering, but just people who you trust and you know that they do great work and you know that they'll get the work done and you know that they know about the business and where you've come from. So yes, it's been, it's been fabulous building the relationship and working together for so long. I think you were one of our first sort of teams that we also got to really get into get into it with <laughs> like I would say we were working much more as contractors um, and on a very project oriented basis and you sort of gave us the opportunity to to get our hands a little dirty and like that was I remember sitting down with Sarah and talking like sort of like doing a retrospective on Gabby and realizing that was a big turning point for us too so appreciate that as an opportunity because we we enjoyed the work so much. Cool. I'm glad because I would say my, uh, you saying that my initial thought is it's probably because it was a shit show and things were so crazy and hectic that I was like, here, I just need you to do all of this. So I appreciate that you have a positive take on that. <laughs> it was an incredible opportunity and it really was. very yeah. fun. Yeah. 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 Anyways. <laughs> Um, so aside from Caitlin being the amazing person that she is and, you know, working with Caitlin and, and producing this, her product over the year, we wanted to bring Caitlin in to share what she's working on because it's super, super important. We all know and have heard over the years through marketing and whatnot about, you know, breast cancer awareness, the pink ribbon and that association. Uh, but the thing that we love about Gabby is the advocacy and autonomy that it brings to someone that it's not just awareness but it's more of like I am taking control of my situation and what it is I need to do if this is something that I have like a high risk for so that perspective we think is very very empowering for the population that it serves and in general like the Gabby team is so smart 
like working with your data scientists and collaborating with them on the design experience to, you know, make these educated and well thought out outcomes just adds this like level of integrity to what is being produced here to kind of give people that type of control of a situation that can seem really scary. I know there's a huge story, a personal story behind this, and I'd love for you to also take us through how you got from where a lot of people start, which is just having experience to having such a like formidable team of people behind a really research backed approach to addressing that problem. Because it's like when I think about the number of steps it takes to get to like step one of this startup of creating Gabby. So I would love to hear you take us through that. Sure, sure. So, yes, as you mentioned, this all really started because of two personal experiences. So first, my mom. Um, my mom died of delayed diagnosis of breast cancer in 2013, and she was getting her annual mammograms, but it turned out that that wasn't actually the right screen for her. And it wasn't until it was too late that we had those realizations. So that was really my first experience about delayed diagnosis. And shortly after, I found a lump in my breasts and just had to fight to get the necessary screening. And it took almost a year to get that necessary screening. And I decided at the time, after doing tons and tons of research and fighting that whole year to have what was supposed to be a preventative double mastectomy, which at the time was considered pretty drastic, especially for someone my age. And in surgery, I was diagnosed with breast cancer and I was only 24 years old. And it was really those two experiences back to back that led me to go into healthcare. Now, I didn't know what I was going to do in healthcare. And even when I shifted to go into healthcare, I never thought I would start my own company, let alone a tech startup. I ended up working for the world's largest genetic testing company, Myriad Genetics. And when I joined them, I thought that my mom and I were uncommon scenarios that it was more of a family thing, that this wasn't happening on a widespread scale. But the longer I worked at Myriad, I started seeing more and more people, not just women, who were experiencing delayed diagnosis of everything from breast cancer to prostate, colon, et cetera. And so it became clear, oh, okay, perhaps I can help change this if this is actually more prevalent than I thought. And realized that at a large public company, I wasn't going to be able to have that impact. That wasn't, that wasn't their top priority. So I started doing research on, okay, who is solving this problem? The problem of women understanding their risks, the problem of knowing what you can do about those risks, and then quickly getting to that care and discovered that no one was. So that's really when the big light bulb went off of, oh, this is, this is what I've been searching for. This, this purpose that I've always felt that I had that I didn't know up to this moment what it was. This is what it is. And at first it started as, oh, it needs to be like a WebMD for women because there just needs to be better, more, more accurate and trustworthy information. And it really just took on a life of its own. And eventually it 
became Gabby and we were using AI to predict a woman's risk and equip her with a personalized action plan. And that's when I made our first hire, which was Ashmitha, our data scientist who both of you have worked with. And she was really taking a huge leap at the time. She was in academia. She was at the Knight Cancer Institute. She had been volunteering with me as we were like figuring out and studying all these other risk models. And it was when I realized that we needed to actually raise institutional funding. And I raised a little bit of that money that I finally asked her to come and join full time. So that was early 2021. That's that's incredible just hearing, I guess, the decision-making process of, you know, wanting to obviously make a difference in some way, recognizing the limited capabilities that you would have in, a, in an existing role, also coming up against a really uncomfortable truth of like, oh, this is not an anomaly. This is actually happening quite often. And I can't imagine the sort of, you know, emotional and, and personal journey and, and growth that's happened alongside that. And I'm curious, I think there's a moment, you know, as, as a founder where you go from it being like a project and an idea for it feeling really real. And I'm curious if you can sort of pinpoint or just share a few moments of when it's kind of hit you that you went from like, oh, I can't make enough of a difference to like, oh my God, this is a company and it's actually happening. I mean, the, the fundraising process, I'm sure is a part of that, but I'm curious yeah, if there are any totally. others. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I think um, just the, the emotional turmoil to get to this point, having, you know, I'm a first time founder, I'm a solo founder and a non-technical founder. Typically all three of those things are seen as negatives and they're basically stacked against me. And so there was so much learning that I had to do. And the way I did that was I read voraciously every possible book on every topic that could have to do with women's health, startups, fundraising, products, you name it. And then I also networked like crazy. And just every person at the end of the conversation was, okay, who else do you think I should meet? Who else do you think I need to talk to? And that is what one of the foundational things that really helped me. But during that whole time, it was, I'm figuring all this out on my own. So I always joke that I spent a lot of time on the floor, <laughs> hitting my head against the floor, just being like, oh my gosh, how do I do this? But I would say, and I think most founders have some version of this, who knows how much I sure to God hope that it goes away at some point, but imposter syndrome. So like even you saying, Katie, wow, like at what point did you realize this was a company that this was actually happening? And I would say, I still don't. Um, I still am like, well, what am I doing? Oh my gosh. Did I make all this up? Am I? I, I sometimes even ask, ask myself, like, am I a sociopath? Am I a Like, did I... Is this really yeah. happening? Have I, how is this happening? This is such a weird life. This was never where I thought I would be going. I didn't know any of this and now I do. Um, and I think also because it was, it was such an idea. It was truly an idea for such a long, what felt like such a long time. And we still don't have a product in market. So I think that's a lot of where like the, the questioning comes from is, 
oh my gosh, are we just working on some digital thing that is actually never going to happen? Is it, you know, is it really real? Um, and, and I always have to like weigh that through a filter. Okay. How much of this, is this imposter syndrome? How much of this is my own insecurity? And that's where I would say it's so important to have other founders, other people who have gone through this to talk to, not to mention a therapist, but a long way of getting back to your question of like, were there moments when it became real? And I would say absolutely first one was raising that first round of funding. And then the second was being able to offer a job to my first employee and pay their salary. And then a third would be an opportunity to work with a very large national insurance company to validate our algorithm. And then the fourth would be this next round of funding that we had. And then still, I'm like, but is it still real just because we have those things? I'm not sure. A hundred percent. I think it's, First of all, I appreciate you speaking so candidly about the process of uh, stress that it comes with <laughs> the journey. Uh, like this beautiful, incredible story also is not not just all highs and happy moments and like persevering until you get there. Like there's a lot of, you know, lots of types of feelings. But I think speaking, speaking candidly about the fact that it still doesn't feel quote unquote real, it, it's all subjective. Um and I, I think something that stands out to me about the way you describe the story and the sort of like origin story of Gabby is you said all these things about the kind of founder you are. And I think the funny thing about the problem or rather the solution that you're offering is theoretically it could come from any type of company, an insurance company, a healthcare company, a tech company that has the algorithm that wants to make a product out of it. But I do think personally, as personal opinion, but I do think that having it come from you specifically, like there is something that that you bring to the table. Obviously there are a lot of things, but there's something special despite being non-technical and all these things that you can bring to the table. And it sort of gets into we have we have a question that's like what makes Gabby different from what's out there that's sort of aimed on like the product side of things. But I think that this story is like a big part of what makes it special and what makes it different. And, you know, when people who are going through this very traumatic time in their life come and can really recognize and see themselves in, in you and your mom's story, there's that's part of what makes it special. But that that said, I would love to switch gears onto the product a little bit more um, and just start to talk about like when you look at the market, when you look at what's out there. Yeah. What do you, what do you see or Sarah, if you want to rephrase that question? Yeah. Or like, how has it evolved over the years since you started? Um, have you seen new things come out that make you excited that, you know, there's more things out there too for women to kind of use and learn more about um, their risk? Yeah. So um, I mean, absolutely. I think of Maven Clinic who I may be stating this inaccurately, so fact check me on this, but I think is the first women's health specific unicorn. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when Kate Ryder started Maven, femtech wasn't a phrase. There mm -hmm. weren't specific solutions just for women's health. And I can only imagine what an uphill battle, you know, starting a company, solo founder, all of that, is a battle, of course, but then you add on that you're building something in this category that is misunderstood, that's underrepresented, that, you know, there aren't solutions. And so she had so much more of an uphill battle 
than, than I do, than we do at Gabby, because femtech is now a thing. Women's health is a thing. And we see whether it's payers or employers or even consumers who are making choices, buying decisions based off of what is appropriate for them as a female. And, and so I think that's the biggest change that, that we've seen. And I am very grateful to be part of an already established movement mm-hmm. as opposed to having to truly be like the first entrance into that space. In terms of, you know, what else have we seen? Uh, I think specifically since I started doing just even research and, you know, Gabby started as an idea, there are so many more solutions for things that previously maybe only had one solution, whether that's menopause, for example. There are now many, many companies that are focusing on menopause specifically. Now, there should be more, but there are so many more compared to, there's not just one in each category. So I think that's a good thing. You know, I think all of us, that there being multiple solutions at the table for each category, like let's take breast cancer, for example, I think it's important because it allows us to help more women. It Mm -hmm. gives access to more women. And one of the things that I've seen that's particularly unique about building in this women's health space specifically are that the founders, the female founders of women's health companies are always come affl- coming from a place of how can I help you? And I think because we have all had to exist in this world, in this ecosystem where we are the first or one of the only that we know what it's like and we want to help other women as much as possible. So one of the greatest gifts that I did not expect was getting to be part of this group, this tribe of women who are also building in this space, who are there to help me answer questions, everything from what software are you using for X, Y, Z to how did you answer this question? If your investor asks this or, um, you know, what do I do when this employee just quits? All these things that at some point, one or all of us have had to figure out alone in a silo, we're now all helping one another. And I would say that's been the greatest gift. And I think that is one of the things that makes women's health and or female founders stand out the most compared to, let's say, like the tech bro Silicon Valley, is mm-hmm. that we don't see ourselves as competition. If one of us goes up, we all go up. We are all there to help one another, no matter how similar or different our companies are. And that's probably been one of my favorite parts. Definitely. I 100% agree. I think that's been one of like the most beautiful things that, you know, Katie and I have seen working with numerous women's health founders. That idea of competition, I think that we're so used to from like growing up that like everyone's your competition is like, why? Yeah. Why? Yeah. That has pinned us against each other for so many years that like now our own health is affected 
by it, you know, right? right. Like There's we can not go down tinfoil hat conspiracy theories with that, but <laughs> with the patriarchy and whatnot. But but that's just like just such a beautiful thing that's come out of this whole movement. Um, I agree. I agree. Yeah. What would you say has been like one of the biggest challenges that you've encountered in building Gabby, like from like the product perspective? That's a good question. I'm actually going to answer it in kind of a roundabout way in that because the company really was being built during COVID, the most difficult part has been not being able to all be in a room and build together. And I think there are many companies at many stages where working remotely can absolutely be just as successful, just as productive. But in the early stages, there's so much iterating, there's so much brainstorming, strategizing, and that energy is really important because you have to build on it. And so I think what's made it very difficult to build the product is that so much of it has had to exist remotely through Zoom, through sharing Google Docs, instead of us all camping out in, you know, in a room with whiteboards and papers all over the wall. So I would say that's probably been the most difficult part, especially for me as an extrovert. <laughs> for sure, for sure. And I, I think it's been interesting seeing that evolution of like remote work and how everyone was kind of forced into it with COVID. Um, so just experiencing it through that lens and then now sort of coming outside of it on, you know, on the other end of like what actually works good for like a more hybrid approach or fully remote or fully in person. So that like completely makes sense. Cause you know, I, I think before we started like recording, we were kind of talking about that of that, like inspirational moment of like things getting done quickly. Sometimes there's a lot of value of doing that in person. Totally. And so like we've we've talked about Ashmifa a little bit and I absolutely adore Ashmifa and working with her as a data scientist. Thank you. So Gabby uses the Gram algorithm in terms of how it helps detect one's risk. Can you yeah. talk a little bit more about that in terms of obviously cuz I'm that's IP for you guys so as much as you're comfortable sharing. Totally. Yeah. So um I think it's helpful to have a context of where it came from and what exists today. So again, when I was at Myriad Genetics, my former career, I was working with these risk models that are um, have been standard of care. They're, they're in medical guidelines. They're typically only used in clinical situations or clinical um, settings. And they ask all these questions with clinical jargon. And at the end, it gives you a lifetime or 10-year risk of breast cancer based off of some of these factors. Well, that wasn't really user-friendly. And the reality is that that pressure has been put on OBGYNs and primary care providers to assess their female patient's risk but they have so many other things that they're also supposed to be doing. So it, it rarely gets done. And the real big idea around that, again, having worked with them in my former career was, okay, if 
women are not actually getting their risk assessed, then how do we get more women to know the risk? Okay, let's just put it in the hands of women. And then you realize, oh, wait, we can't just put it in the hands of women because there's all this medical jargon because it is confusing and there isn't a great experience. I mean, it looks pretty archaic, a lot of these risk models. So, okay, we need to have something that really provides a great experience and makes women feel joyful and excited and engaged. And that's, you know, where Sarah and Katie come in from a design perspective. Let's make it not feel like healthcare. And then as we were digging more into the accuracy of these existing models into who they can work for is really where we got very excited because that's where the, a lot of the problems are in that at best, they're still not really that accurate. So it was, okay, how can we improve the accuracy of these existing risk models? And then, oh, they're really only appropriate for white women over the age of 35. Well, okay, that's dumb. We need to make sure that they can be used on women of all ages and all ethnicities. So those were kind of some of the, the holes that we saw that we wanted to solve. And the reason we've been able to do that, I think another important fact is that all the existing risk models have been built over decades of studies of longitudinal data where they followed a patient from a certain age to death, usually. And I, being very impatient and always wanting to problem solve, thought, oh my gosh, there has to be a better way. That is so not, it's just not scalable in terms of improving things. And there's so much data out there today. There has to be a way that we can use some of these large data sets to improve the accuracy, to make this better for women of all ages, all ethnicities, et cetera. And so that's kind of really where the, the early um, thoughts around the gram came to be. And that's what we did and validated last year with a national insurance company proving that the gram is the only risk model that is one consumer facing two appropriate for women of all ages and all ethnicities and three reaches um, far superior accuracies. I absolutely love that, especially just from like, you know, the key point of you honing in on what like the original models really only apply to such a small number of actual humans on this earth. And, you know, we see it with essentially all research in healthcare for women. Like it's so minute of like the, the groups that they're looking at that it's like you're making these like huge assumptions for all women based off of a small group. So I absolutely love, you know, hearing you say that and like how Gabby's changing that and essentially like modernizing what these types of resources and models should be looking at um, because a lot of the time it's been years since they've updated them. Yeah, exactly. And I think also we all know the stats about clinical trials and drug trials and all these perhaps um procedures and standard of care methods that we have that weren't actually done by validating them on, let's say, women. And mm -hmm. so 
we're seeing this movement of all these companies that are designed by women, designed for women, are taking that unique experience in mind. And that is one of the landmarks of Gabby is that we know women, you know, not only do we know that um, women are typically like the CEO of their, or the CMO, the chief medical officer of their home, they're making a lot of these decisions. When a woman has a concern about her body or a question about her body, she doesn't go immediately call her doctor. She doesn't go log into her insurance portal. She goes and asks another woman that she trusts, whether it's her mom, it's her sister, it's her best friend. And knowing that, that unique insight and being able to now apply that to technology, to something as seemingly technical and scientific as an algorithm or a risk model is, is what we see as a game changer. And there's lots of women's health companies that are doing that. You know, as women, we know that that's the insight and that's where we go. So we're all making sure that that's how we are appearing to women and reaching women. For sure, for sure. And you started touching upon it in terms of like when, you know, building the product out of all of the time, these things are always like super saturated with like healthcare terminology. And it's so confusing for like somebody who hasn't even studied the the area. And, you know, through working with you, that was always at the top of priority is like, how do we make this something that is educational? and empowering somebody with knowledge. So when you started thinking about designing it and making sure that it wasn't like healthcare focused, can you like talk us through like the impact and importance of design? Yeah, I think just even first when we designed, when I designed the brand, I didn't design it, but when we were working on it with the woman who ended up really just establishing the brand, the first thing was like, it all had to do with design. Everything in healthcare is blue. So if there's blue, it can't be the main color. It can't be the primary color. And then two, everything in breast cancer is pink. So pink cannot be the primary color or even the secondary color. You know, it needs to really be a support. And that's, that's all about design. And then as like when we started actually doing wireframes and, and designing the product with you, Sarah, it was a woman needs to know what is being asked. A woman needs to know what is being said. And, you know, the the number of, well, I think every scenario, whether it's filling out patient paperwork when you go to see your doctor or on your health insurance portal, or even these existing risk models, asking things using clinical or medical nomenclature, most women don't know what that is. And actually a great part of learning for me when we were working through one of the many iterations on just the copy for the the Gabby app was how much medical knowledge I have that most people on the on the team or who are working on the design didn't have. And that was a great point of like, oh wow, yeah, I did used to work in this industry. I do know more than most women about this. So we have to scale it back even more. And not that we're dumbing it down. We're just using how how we're having a conversation now and not not using you know medical medical jar- jargon. Mm-hmm. So I would say that was. But you guys one. do include the medical jargon too, though, and that's yeah. important because it's more of like 
this is what this confusing word means. Yeah. Because it's like it allows for that conversation for a woman to have with their provider as well. I think absolutely you're right. So it's we want to be providing the education, but we don't want you to have to go figure it out what it means. We also want to, um, in a in a way, uh, challenge the way that I think healthcare even talks about women's bodies. So in order to get women talking about these types of things, we need to start with how they are talking. But at the same time, we can provide those technical terms so that you're being educated over time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So we do, we do include both. We start with like the layperson terminology, mm-hmm. but as you know, the, the clinical terminology is also provided. For sure. For sure. For sure. And I mean, just to wrap things up, I think we've gone on sort of a journey deep into the product. We've explored like how we got here. And obviously, like you mentioned before, any progress that you make really lifts up this whole like conversation experience of women's health um so in a in a dream world say like five years from now what has gabby achieved or or who have you accessed customer wise that you may not be right now um who are you working with you know maybe wish list if you have like brands that you want to partner with or if you'd want to have physical spaces. I'm just going off here, but I'm curious when you think about this, like this ideal opportunity to impact women's health at like different parts of the experience. What does that look like? Yeah. So from a product standpoint, well, let's, I'll start with like a recognition standpoint. Um, we aim to be the leading early detection company so that every preventable cancer that affects women is found at the earliest possible stages. So I would say first in the future, we would be a household name that, you know, Sarah, you're asking Katie about a a lump or a mark or an infection or some kind of pain or something that you have. And Katie's like, oh, I don't know, but did you ask Gabby? So we want to be that household name. The second is from a product standpoint, Also, we've expanded beyond breast cancer. We're starting with breast cancer, but very much intend to um, go wider in terms of scope on the different cancers that we can predict and provide personalized action plans for and navigate to an early detection. I think those are the first two things. And then, um, and that kind of addresses like, how big are we? Where are you? And we would like to be, I, I guess I'll, I'll leave it at that because you, you can make some um, obvious assumptions from if we're a household name, then we're obviously working with large brands and large companies, et cetera. Um, and the world is our oyster <laughs> from a, Honestly, from a, from a yeah. reach perspective, you know, I love and that, that people so want to work with us like th- that they're, a lot of times, especially in an early stage, you're telling your story and trying to con- doing so much work to convince like why you're actually so great when you don't maybe you, whether you don't have the funding or you don't have the credibility or maybe you have some of the credibility you have some of the funding, but you're certainly not as big as a you know much larger company. And so we're doing a lot of the footwork to to say like, hey, we're great. We can do all these things. And certainly companies will be reaching out to us to want want to work with us, want to 
pay us to provide Gabby to their um, to their members, their employees. I absolutely love that. I think that's a great place to leave it. I was going to say every you're you're on everyone's wish list, not just it's not your wish list, it's their yeah. wish list. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So to close out, how can you know our listeners follow along with the Gabby journey, reach out to you and your team if they're interested in working with you? Yes. So our website is gabby.com, g a b b i.com. And you should be able to reach out via our website, as well as the current positions are listed there, too. Any closing thoughts around Gabby and maybe, you know, what should we be looking out for? Yeah. So um, as I mentioned, we are not in market yet, but we will be very soon. And we are accepting five pilot self-insured employers, so uh, enterprises, to be our early adopters. So I would just say if you work for a company that provides benefits, if you are the company that provides benefits, we would implore you to reach out and be one of the first companies that offers Gabby to your employees. And the first company that is offering a unique solution, the only solution that can actually predict a woman's risk of breast cancer and help navigate her to that early detection. Yeah, definitely. And help iterate on like continuing to be yes. better. Yeah. Be like early, early partners get to have a say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, awesome. And, and how we do this. Yeah. Well, thank you so much uh, for chatting with us today, Caitlin. And like, we really appreciate it. And always as so always, fun to hear. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. And um, we would love to have you back at some point in the future Absolutely. to talk about all the progress because like you painted such a great vision so yeah. there's great. And you've a part done two so much in the last year too like Thank it you. literally does not feel like it's been a year it feels like it's been many years so okay I appreciate yeah. that because I yeah. feel like I'm constantly looking down and be like oh my gosh have we done anything no, um, I appreciate you saying tremendous that amount. for anyone looking like from day one, you have had such fearless leader energy. I think as, as far you. as founders go, you were out here doing it, moving mountains. So Thank definitely you. would, would recommend that people reach out and, uh, and yeah, best of luck with everything. There's so many exciting things happening and excited to hear the update in the future. Yes. Thank you. And thank you so much for, for having me on. This was a pleasure and so fun. Yay. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moss and Friends. As always, you can connect with us further at whoismoss.com or on Twitter and Instagram at whoismoss with underscores between the words. If you know anyone that would be the perfect Moss and Friends guest or maybe a project you think we should hop in on, please reach out. We'll see you next time.